Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. It's episode 34. I'm Ryan Sir. With me as always is Don Helbig. Don, how you doing today? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, glad to see the calendar turn to March because that means the cold weather somewhat is behind us. A lot to look forward to. Parks opening up, baseball season starting. So always glad when the calendar turns to March. Yeah, March is, uh, you know, I think we're like, what, 19 days from spring as of the time of this recording or so. So that's that's exciting. I love this time of year because there's nothing but things to look forward to. So with that being said, we have a very special show for you and a really cool guest that we've been wanting to have for a while. But before we get started, uh, remember to subscribe to us on YouTube uh, so you can see the video version of the show because the video is way cooler because we're all so handsome on here. Um Make sure you encourage your friends to give us a listen or, or watch us on YouTube. We'd really appreciate it. If you prefer audio, then we're on all your major podcast apps. And you can find us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Now, Don and I have decided to open up the show for sponsorship packages. If anyone's interested in doing that, just send us a DM on Twitter and we'll discuss it with you. Uh, attractions underscore GRP once again. Just send us a DM and we'll, we'll kind of discuss... The package we had in mind if you want to reach, uh, you know, this particular demographic of people. So with that being said, we have a very special guest on, uh, somebody that's very well known in the coaster community, uh, but is now riding on the other side of the fence in a lot of ways. Uh, Clint Novak was originally um, uh, part of the In The Loop podcast for many, many years. Uh, and he's, you know, been all around the, bu the buck as far as coaster enthusiast stuff. But now he's the GM of... Funland at Fredericksburg uh, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is a large-scale FEC. So we're really excited to have him on. So, Clint, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Ah, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you for being on the show. I I'm excited. I, I did not come dressed and prepared uh, for this particular podcast, which I apologize for. Uh, but uh, I, I had planned on being uh, in your dress code, but I, I missed out. So, well, if I you apologize. don't get invited back, you'll know why. Exactly. I, I know. I'm in my Funland uniform. How boring. Right. <laughs> Once we in, have... in my uniform, my uniform doesn't even come with a beanie either. So I don't have my beanie. We're on. We're going to address the, the beanie later in the show, Clint. Don't worry about that <laughs> at all. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. But uh, Clint, to get things started, you know, your journey to becoming the GM of Fredericksburg Funland, it started with a Facebook post. So tell us about that. So it is really crazy and you never know what is going to lead to something bigger and better and, and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, many, many years ago, I believe 11 years ago, and it just passed, I think this week, right? We just passed this week. 11 years ago, I took a picture of a tilt-a-whirl in the Funland parking lot. And uh, I posted it, you know, on In The Loop and all that stuff. And hey, Funland's getting a tilt-a-whirl. Got all excited. And uh I got a message from the general manager of Funland uh, saying, hey, what's going on? Why why did you take pictures of the Tilt the World in the parking lot? And why are you making a big deal out of it? And uh, yeah, I explained to him that, uh, you know, oh, I'm a coaster enthusiast. I'm local. I passed by, saw it, took pictures. And he was like, uh, I would like you to come in and talk to me. And I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. And so I come in and uh, he wanted to pick my brain more about uh, social media marketing. And this is 11 years ago. So social media obviously was, was big at the time, but uh, the marketing aspect of it, I don't think really was. And so uh, I, I just told him what I do. I had the YouTube channel within the loop and uh, we had the podcast and all that stuff going on. And he was, uh, he was really uh, intrigued by it. And so I said, well, I'll, 
I would love to come up and do some videos and pictures for you guys and help you out. And so I started doing that. And uh, the person who was their sales marketing guy at the time really didn't use any of the content I was creating. Um, so I didn't think it was going to really go anywhere. And then, uh, and then fast forward, I was looking to get out of DJing at bars and stuff, which that's what I was doing at the time. And, uh, and they, uh, lost their sales marketing guy. So I was like, Hey, maybe this would be a good fit. And so, uh, I interviewed for a position as a manager. Uh, I was then rejected, uh, for that position. Uh, and then I said, well, I'm going to IAPA. Uh, for a week. And uh, when I come back, I need a job because I'm not going to work in the bars anymore. And so that's when I came back and uh, I started as a ride attendant at Funland. And three months later was immediately upgraded to manager. And within a year of becoming the manager, I uh, became the general manager. And so it was all because of that post uh, that got me uh, in, in the door, uh, so to speak, to uh, where I am today. And you, just, you never know uh, where, where, where these things are going to lead. Yeah, Clint, you know, there's a great message, too, for everyone out there. If you're interested in working in the industry, a lot of people, you know, they want to come in. They want to start out at the top. They want to be the general manager. They want to be a director. Uh, but, you know, you started out in rides and, and worked your way up. And that's really the best way to, to go about it. Just get your foot in the door. And then, yeah, you I, know, if, if you do well, I mean, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to just, you know, go as far as you want. I really think the people who are the most successful are the people who are looking at uh, at the park perspective as a guest. And really that's what I am. I'm at Kings Dominion whenever I'm not here. Uh, I go to other FECs and visit them and, uh, and, and become friends with them and, and all that. But it's, you know, really the reason why I'm so successful is because I'm such a fan of the industry. And I'm able to take all of the knowledge that I learned from being a fan of the industry and able to turn that into something that has been very successful here. But, uh, you know, if you look at like, uh, 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 Jeffrey down at Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. And, uh, and, you know, there's so many people who started in, you know, one position, there's so many stories out there where they started in, you know, uh, Pat Jones at Kings Dominion and now Carowinds and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, one of the, uh, uh, regional park presidents is she started in games at Kings Dominion. So it's like, you never know, uh, where it's going to lead from there. Uh, as long as you have a passion and a drive for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a very inspirational story. Um, your memoir could be from in the loop to in the door. That's what I would call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm here all week. Yet. I'm here all I'm week. Done yet. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, when we do this podcast 10 years from now and I'm the Kings Dominion Park president, then then uh, I will have hit the uh, hit the pinnacle. <laughs> then you'd be memoir worthy. Well, okay. So, um, you know, speaking of, of Funland specifically, uh just based on the things that you've been posting on your personal social media, as well as the social media of you know, Funland itself, um, it looks like since you've become GM, like that place has grown exponentially. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Well, uh, the owner has a lot of faith in me, in my team. And, uh, really it's not, it's not just me. You know, I, I post a, a lot of this stuff, but I couldn't have done any of this without the team that I have. And a lot of the people here, like my, uh, AGM Damon, he came from Kings Dominion, uh, worked there for like 20 years. Um, our, uh, director of maintenance worked at Kings Dominion for 20 years. Uh, his wife who worked at Kings Dominion for 20 years works here now, um, there's a lot of people who uh, helped helped uh, Funland grow 
who are big fans of the industry. And, uh, and it's because of that team effort that, uh, that, uh, you know, passion for the industry is the reason why we've really been able to grow. And we've had some great ideas and some great success. And we've had some terrible ideas and some poor success. So, you know, we, we're just lucky that the, the, the good ideas have been big and the terrible ideas have been minuscule. So it's like, uh, you know, we didn't dump a ton of money into the bad ideas, but the good ideas uh, we have uh, gotten a return on. So, um, and yeah, I mean, there is not a lot left here at the park uh, of the original park, let alone the park when I started eight years ago. Uh, there's very few things left here at the park that was here eight years ago. Um, you know, a lot of the arcade games that are eight years old are now gone, got rid of that kind of clutter and stuff, got a lot of new games coming in and, and uh, freshening up all the time. Uh, most of the rides and attractions have been plussed, updated, re renovated, you know, all of that kind of stuff uh, in order to make sure that we're still given the, the best guest experience. And uh, all of the, those things keep paying off because we keep getting better and better. And that lets us do bigger and better things like the go-kart track or the two new SBF Visa rides we just put in, um, which it, it's a lot of money to do those things. And uh, uh, we're excited to keep growing and expanding and uh, seeing what we can uh, do next to, to make the guest experience even better. Well, you mentioned the go-kart uh, track and the SBF uh, Visa rides. What went into the decision uh, to have those particular rides there? So it's, you know, it's a lot of like the, I hate to say it, it's like gut feelings because like with the go-kart track, we knew we wanted to do something big and, uh, and Damon and myself pitched to the owner, Chuck, uh, the idea of doing a multi-level go-kart track. And he was like, why, uh, this can't be a big deal. And I said, okay. He said, well, take me to a go-kart track. And I said, well, first of all, there's none in Virginia. Uh, I said, um, then I said, let's fly to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and I will show you 35 go-kart tracks within a five-mile stretch. And almost all of them are multi-level go-kart tracks. So we got to see a, a, a wide variety of go-kart tracks in different ways they were made. But we knew, I mean, at least I knew that the style of track I wanted was very similar to what fun spot does down in Florida, mm -hmm. um, you know, wood construction, but smooth concrete on top of it to give the go-karts a nice smooth ride. Um, so that, that trip to pigeon forge was in July of 2018. We opened our go-kart track in June of 19. So 11 months later from us saying, we should build a go-kart track to us finishing and opening the go-kart track was 11 months. It was, that was massive. Um, and, and really, uh, John Aries down at, uh, at, at fun spot was uh, very kind, uh, to, uh, give us some input as to how to do it. Uh, uh, they have, I guess, a patent on the process that we used. Uh, so they, uh, allowed us to, uh, uh build the, the track, uh, similar to theirs as well. Um, so, and, uh, yeah, I'm really excited and it was a huge hit. Um, and it's funny because it wasn't a huge hit the weekend we opened it. Like I was planning on overflow parking and doing all this stuff for the first weekend it opened. And it was like a dud, like nobody showed up the first weekend. And I was like, oh no, we just spent a million dollars on this go-kart track and, and, you know, our sales were up like 10%. What are we going to do? And then the next weekend we, we doubled the sales on a Saturday than we'd ever, the best Saturday we ever had, we doubled it in one day. And it was like, uh-oh, now what are we, it was a whole different problem. 
Uh, and it's it's a problem you don't anticipate when you're running a facility because, you know, when you're running roller coaster tycoon and things like that or, or pretending in your head how to run an amusement park, you don't think of the operations and logistical things that happen. When you double the amount of people in the park, you double the amount of trash that's being made. And so we had to up our trash pickup to twice a week because we were creating so much trash, but you also have to make twice as much food. And so it's like, Oh, how do we store the food? Because we can't store that much food in our freezer. So we had to have like, uh, you know, two or three deliveries a week. And it was like all these logistical things you don't think about, uh, the impact of having more people at your park, uh, that, that will have a big impact. We, then we didn't have any more parking. We had to have people parking attendants, uh, helping us on Saturdays because park our our lot only has 200 cars or 200 spots and it was full, so we'd have to park people across the street and in other places and make sure that people were parking in the appropriate places. So uh, just a whole bunch of crazy stuff, but uh, uh, really, it again, it was a huge success. I mean, uh, uh, we knew not the weekend we opened it, but the week after that, we saw the press of DC uh, news stations coming down and doing videos and Elliot in the morning uh, had us on one morning. So that's really when we knew, oh, okay, it, it, it is going to be a big deal. And it, it, it was really big. Yeah. I love go-karts. I think they're just so much fun. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, to attest to the Airy family, I've, I've actually had interactions with them on a business level and you couldn't find a better people group of people to work with they're they're just fantastic um but uh speaking of you know aside from the go-karts uh you've added a bunch of other rides too and uh almost all of them or maybe all of them are from the sbf visa uh strain of brand of rides shall we say i don't know why i said that so awkwardly <laughs> tell us about your relationship with sbf visa and what's been like to work with them well uh yeah so we uh put in uh, you know okay we have uh uh the clip and climb uh, ropes course and RCI or excuse, clip and climb climbing walls, RCA ropes course. Uh, when we were looking at doing clip and climb uh, uh, years ago, um, we, uh, the owner, uh, I, I, I wanted to do the SBF spin coaster and, and Chuck was, was very lukewarm on it. It's, it's a $400,000 investment and we just weren't quite there yet. You know, uh, we didn't want to put that much into, into something and not know if it'd have a return. And, uh, we were, we were putting in clip and climb and I was designing like where the layout in the building was going to go. And I said, well, Chuck, I just want to let you know. Right now, where Clip and Climb is, if we did want to put the roller coaster in, there's only one spot in the whole building it will fit because of the beams for the, the ceiling. It would have to go here. And if we did that, we'd have to move Clip and Climb four feet in one direction in order to fit it. He goes, well, Clint, Clint, we're not, we're not putting in the SBF spin coaster. And I said, okay. But if, if we wanted to, we need to make sure we move that four feet. Yes, you can go ahead and move it four feet, but we're not putting in the SBS spin coaster. And a week later, we had a deposit on an SBS spin coaster. So it was uh, crazy. Like we we turned around, looked at it, bought it. We went to other facilities and looked at it, uh, iPlay uh, and some other places. And we always went on like a Wednesday uh, at like two o'clock in the afternoon and there's no guests there and they turn it on, they'd run it. And we're like, oh, it's a super quiet ride. We're going to put it right next to the birthday party rooms. It'll be great because it's super quiet. The only thing we didn't anticipate is that the people on it are not super quiet. They're <laughs> yelling and screaming and having a great time. And so it is a very loud attraction because of them screaming and yelling, but the actual operation of the attraction is not. And uh, that's really what started our relationship with SBF Visa and Rides for You, uh, who's the, their broker uh, in the U.S. And uh, 
we, uh, you know, just continue that relationship. Um, you know, we had other plans for 2023. Uh, we wanted to do that uh, Soaring Eagle uh, or, uh, 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 yeah, the uh, Soaring Eagle uh, drop tower saddle sling ride. Uh, and I went through three years of uh, city uh, ordinance changing and uh, and getting a special use permit to be able to do that. Um, but unfortunately, the timing just was not right after the three years uh, to move forward on that project. And so, uh, we had that money set aside, ready to go for that project, and uh, we turned around and, and looked at rides for you, and said, uh, you know, what can we do for this mm-hmm. this amount of money? And these two rides were uh, right right up our alley. So, um, we've had a couple a couple days of uh, preview operations with them, and uh, right now it looks like the drop tower is the more popular of the two, uh, which uh, we, that's kind of what we thought because the flip side de- definitely looks very intimidating when you watch it. Uh, it, it the, it's a pendulum ride that goes upside down, but it goes upside down with a lot of force. And when you're looking at it on the ground, it's like, it's almost, almost scary. Um, even for like me, a coaster enthusiast, but the airtime that you get on it is really weird because as it's going up to its peak, it's like throwing you over. So it's like, you're just getting this floating airtime through the whole upper part of the ride. And it's, it's, it's crazy, but, uh, yeah, uh, so that's really what uh, what started it, and uh, you know we're we're excited for March tenth when we uh, when we open these up uh, for uh, general public and uh, regular use. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I know I brought this story up to you at IAPA, and you didn't remember, but uh, long story short, with this with the the spinning coaster um, at IAPA, uh, probably five years ago at this point, I was having I went to a, a dinner, and it um, I, I don't want to name any companies or anything, but a large FEC company was. Uh, was there we were there as friends it wasn't a business meeting and you know uh one of the one of the owners was like you know we locked at that spinning coaster it sound it looks really fun and i bet we can make money i just don't know and i was like ah i know somebody that works for an fec that has one so i sent you a facebook message and i said how does it you know what's maintenance like it's a popular and you're like dude you want it so i just i went yeah. up and i was like hey uh i just talked to friend of mine that's GM of an FE, large FEC in Virginia. And he said that, he, you know, one of the best decisions he's made, that sort of thing. Like, okay, cool. They have five now. <laughs> so, so thank you for that. First of all, secondly, they still credit me for like, Hey, thanks for recommending that to us, even though it was just <laughs> off the valor. So it's a little that bit means, of That valor. means you owe me a dinner somewhere like a uh, skyline chili or so, something, hey, right? <laughs> I, you're, you're on. There I will you buy you skyline. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's plan. crazy uh, because the the SBF spin coaster, like if if you're coming to Funland, you're like, oh, I got to go do the go-karts. But the number one ride every single day is the spin coaster. Uh, the spin coaster this past Saturday did like 650 rides where the second place was our go-kart track at like 300. So it doubled the amount that our go-kart track did uh, in second place. We have 17 rides and attractions. So uh, it, it's just, it's shocking how many people uh, ride that that spin coaster. It's just over and over and over again. It's great. It's a beautiful ride. That, that it's, it's a good looking ride. It's just thrilling enough. It's it's fun to watch. It's fun to ride. Uh, I think I think they've really got like a home run on their hands. I think that's such a cool ride, you know? So here's a here's a crazy question for all of us coaster enthusiasts: uh, Is SBF Visa the number one roller coaster manufacturer in the country right now? Uh, if it's not, it's up there. Uh, you, you, well, here's the funny <laughs> thing: I know, like three years ago or four years yeah. ago, they had 68 spin coasters in the U.S. 
which I mean, that's, that's a ton of coasters, but I mean, uh, that has to have doubled at this point. Oh yeah. It's funny because, you know, I, the, the first, especially the first time you go to IAPA and maybe both of you can sympathize or tell me I'm nuts, but you see a bunch of these companies, especially roller coaster manufacturers. And you're like, Oh, that's not Intamin. That's not B&M. Those are knockoffs, you know? So basically like everything to you that your home park doesn't have, it's like, it's wisdom rides or not wisdom, golden horse. That's what I was thinking of. Wisdom mm-hmm. rides is good. Uh, but like golden horse, it's like, this is all knockoff stuff. So that's what I thought about SBF. I was like, I've never heard of these people, but it's one of those things like kind of like when you buy a new car, and you see all the other people on the road that had the same car as you. And you're like, where did all these people get these Ford Mustangs? But it's just because like now it's brought your attention to it. I I can't unsee all the SBF Visa spinning coasters all around the FECs, the small museum parks. There's, you know, the one in Myrtle Beach has one like that. They're mm-hmm. like, they're kind of like you guys. They got all SBF stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think well, it's cool I mean, stuff. There is a, uh, the Funplex down in Myrtle Beach is an SBF Visa like factory park. Yeah. Like everything there as SBF visa, all the rides. Yeah. So it's crazy. And they have uh, like pretty much every ride they offer. And it's like, apparently there's nowhere to walk because it's such a small space, but they have so many rides. I, I did a, I did a YouTube video there. It's fun. Don't get me wrong. You should definitely go and check it out. They have a bar like right in the middle of the park, but they, I don't really think they plan for the amount of people that go into the park. So it's like, if, if you set every seat on every ride, uh, it would be like 150 people, but they can't, 150 people can't fit on the midway there because right. it's so small. And so there's no way they're ever going to actually fill the capacity of the rides because they can't get that many people in the park. So yeah, it's crazy. I mean, maybe, maybe it is a prototype. Awesome. I mean, uh, uh, really good. I, I love, I love the compact layout of it. I wish it was just a little bigger, uh, to give more space. Uh, but you know, the, the layout of it is really cool. The lighting effects at night are just crazy because they're all new rides with all new lighting. Uh, so it, it is really cool. A really cool park to go visit. Does SPF Visa own the park or do they just happen to have? No, uh, it's owned by a company. They have two parks in New Jersey, uh, called Funplex. Okay. Uh, so they had one, uh, they have one that's close to Diggerland, which is just South of, uh, uh, Pittsburgh? No, Philadelphia. Okay. Sorry, uh, just south of Philadelphia, and then they have another one that's close to New York City on the New Jersey side, um, and they're indoor/outdoor parks uh, with water parks attached to them. Wow. So uh, you know they're FECs that kind of turned into amusement parks and then turned into water parks, uh, and then they decided uh, to expand. Uh, one year, uh, Rides for You did a booth at IAPA that was basically an amusement park with a roller coaster going around it. And they just took that idea and took all of the rides there and said, that's what we're going to do in Myrtle Beach. And they uh, expanded on it, put in some bigger rides, took the rides that were on the show floor there and the roller coaster and expanded the roller coaster to fit the uh, footprint. Very neat. Yeah, Clint, um, you know, working in the industry and whether it's the attractions, entertainment industry, uh, it's a lot of fun but it's incredibly hard. So in your position, what are some of your biggest challenges? Oh man, there's challenges all the time. Uh, you know, putting in the new rides was, was very challenging. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different things that we had to do with these rides that we didn't have to do in previous installs. And so we had several different contractors. We had electricians and we had general con or not general contractors, but, uh, uh, the people who were doing the cement work and, uh, and we had the uh, city and we had engineers who had to engineer all this stuff. And, and I was kind of the general contractor of all of it. And it was much more difficult than I, than I thought it was going to be. 
Um, because sometimes contractors don't want, don't like to work together, uh, oddly enough. And so it's like their priority is always the priority. And, uh, you know, so sometimes they want to flex their muscles over the other one. And, uh, so it, it, it sometimes, uh, was, uh, uh, frustrating, but, uh, you know, it was definitely worth it once we got the riders on the ride and started, uh, seeing the positive effect, uh, it, it's going to have, uh, for Funland. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's really, you know, that was one of the, I guess, most recent things, but, uh, otherwise I, I really, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And so it's like, sometimes, I mean, I guess I complain that some of the stuff is hard, but really uh, in the end I'm running an amusement park and, uh, you know, every day I enjoy coming to work. I enjoy doing the things that we're doing. And, uh, and then I enjoy going to King's Dominion and I enjoy hanging out with, uh, my enthusiast friends and, uh, and talking about all this, uh, crazy stuff that we got going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, quite a life lived, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be a coaster enthusiast, but also it's another thing to, um, you know, get to, to do what you want to do and, you know, face the challenges from the other side of the fence. But, um, so, uh, one of your famous tropes and I told you we'd bring this up, is the helicopter hat. <laughs> okay. I remember you posting on Facebook at some point that I think that came from Cedar Point. Can can you expand on the helicopter hat, please? Sure. So uh, I don't know the years. Uh, the, the years kind of uh, meld together. But really, in I, I believe it was uh, uh, 2000, when Millennium Force opened, was the very first Cedar, Cedar Point trip I had taken from Minnesota to Cedar Point to do Millennium Force, uh, waited six hours in line uh, to do the coaster. And uh, I don't know if it was that trip. Uh, I, I know the beanie didn't come up in that trip, but I, I bought a silly like gesture joker hat to wear around. And it was like a three-day trip. And uh, that was the first like Clint Novak beanie. Um, and, and I'd wear it to, you know, at that time, I wasn't really a coaster enthusiast. I just had Valley Fair and then we wanted to go ride this big coaster in Ohio. Uh, and then um, the next year I had the Joker hat and it got like really hot at Cedar Point. And I was like, this is cotton. It's unbearable. I can't wear this anymore. And that's when I found the beanie hat. And so um, it was like two or three years later. So maybe like 2003 is when the beanie came in. Uh, but uh, so there's the Joker hat, which I still have. Uh, I, it's in like one of my collector boxes. And I have the very first beanie I ever purchased as well uh, in one of the uh, boxes. Um my home park, King's Dominion, uh, started, uh, it was Paramount King's Dominion at the time. They sold propeller beanies as well. So I had a whole box of, uh, of, uh, uh Paramount, uh, hats that I had at one point, um, because when they went out of, uh, or when Cedar Fair took over, they, you know, did a, a mass sale on all their, uh, Paramount stuff. So I bought a whole bunch of those. And, uh, now I buy premium ones. I know they have premium adult beanies with propellers on them. Uh, I buy the uh, premium ones because they last much longer uh, and they're more like a real hat instead of a, you know, uh, you know, something they threw together with a beanie on top of it. So that's that's where I have the beanie now. I go Amazon. It's like $16 on Amazon for my uh, adult uh, premium propeller beanie. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I've always been curious about that, but I've seen many photos of you. Now, Clint, you've added a new ride recently an SBF Visa drop tower. It was featured on the IAPA floor. Uh, Ryan and I had a chance to look at it, really liked it. But how has that installation gone for you? 
Well, uh, so it was a dual ins installation. So we were installing that at the same time we were installing the flip side, uh, which is an SBF Visa uh, 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 MIDI Dance 360. Um, and uh, so a lot of people say, oh, you bought the one that was on the IAPA floor. And yes, that is true. But we bought it like three or four months before IAPA even happened. Uh, and so the way that goes down is uh, basically we said, okay, uh, uh, we were interested in purchasing a ride and we knew what we wanted to do. Uh, we knew that we wanted the drop tower and it fit into what rides for you wanted to display at IAPA. And so then they're able to, uh, you know, make deals uh, with us as to, you know, can they use it for a week and then have it go to our place? And then, you know, that that would cover shipping or something like that. And so, uh, you know, we were able to make a deal where our ride was the one that was displayed at uh, at IAPA. So that way, uh, going into the show, they don't have to worry about, oh, are they going to sell the ride? Do they have to ship it back to England? Do they have to store it in the U.S. until they could sell it? No, it was already sold. Uh, so they, you know, they just get to put it up, uh, run it for the week, and then. And, uh, and then it arrived, uh, you know, the trade show floor ended at what, five on Friday or maybe four on Friday? Yeah, I think four. Uh, it was in our parking lot at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the speed that they can work over at that trade show floor is just, is crazy. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm very excited to get that. That was uh, the last piece of our puzzle. Uh, the Midi Dance 360 actually went up uh, in in November. So that went up in November. Then we had to wait until the uh, the Patriot Plunge arrived and we got that put up uh, towards the end of December. Um, and then other stuff got into play, power issues and and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, we were able to start doing uh, some major testing and stuff towards the end of January. And we've been very lucky with weather. It's been a very mild, uh, mild winter for us. So no, no uh, crazy cold nights and no snow or anything like that. You'll take it, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, we're this weekend, uh, we're looking at 70 possibly on Saturday. And uh, so, yeah, we want to, we want to break in the new rides a little more this weekend, get a, get, get a couple hours each on them and get some training done with some of our staff. And uh, yeah, so we got a lot of stuff going on with them. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you guys will be packed this weekend with how good the weather is. It's probably pretty weather dependent. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, just to, so for those of you who haven't been to IAPA, the SBF Visa Group, or rides for you. I don't know who owns the booth. That's like 10% of the biggest show floor you'll ever see. They've got a roller coaster, a drop ride. What was the little airplane thing that flipped? Do you remember the manufacturer's name for that? Well, I don't remember the name of it, but that was SBA Visa. It, it and, was. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's them and yeah. Zimperla go back and forth for booth size every year. And I believe this year rides for you had the biggest booth, but uh uh, yeah, they always, you know, bounce back and forth depending on what they're bringing and what's going on uh, as to, you know, who 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 gets to outshine who. But uh, SBA Visa uh, and Rides for You, they always bring the most rides. So I think they had what uh, the coaster, our ride, um, the the plane ride, and then uh, the the super surge or whatever they call it. So I think they had like four major rides, uh, which uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, the super surge. I forgot about that. That was the thing about their rides is they look cool and stuff, but you, you kind of, for some of them, like the super surge, that's the one that spins and kind of pops up in the air. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a, yeah, it has a weird center thing. The seats face out and it just spins right. around then goes up in the air. Yeah. Because I, I, I remember with both that and on the other end is the, um, the Zamperla ride. Uh, help me out here. Um, uh, uh, oh, the weird clock 
uh, yeah. gear thing. I, yeah. I thought with I, both of those, they would be, they look cool from the outside, but the ride experiences, whatever. They were both like so fun. They were, they were really cool rides. Um, speaking of, you know, adding rides and stuff like that. Um, so you're to the point now where you're indoor, outdoor, uh, you've got rides, you've got go-karts and several different facets. So you're a very large FEC. What do you mm-hmm. think in your mind, from your perspective, draws the line between an FEC and a full-blown amusement park? Wow. Um, you know, I think uh, we're going to have to go back to Fun Spot. I think they're the ones who kind of drew that line. Once you get uh, a major coaster, I believe that's when you switch from FEC to amusement park. So uh, SBF Visa Spin Coaster, I don't think counts. I think that's going to stay in the kiddie range uh, or family range. So uh, I think uh, really what's going to draw the line is if we were able to to get a uh, some type of uh, major coaster. So that's when you're going to get your RMC just to get that title, right? Sure. Yes. yes. <laughs> T-Rex confirmed. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because right. everybody always wants to know like, oh, when are you going to do the RMC and da, da, da. And uh, our, our issue is, 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 well, okay. Price is the issue. I mean, right. obviously that number one is, is price uh, to buy a, a, a coaster like an RMC or even a really small Inamin uh, or a Gerschlauer uh, compact, something like that is going to be in the five to 7 million range if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include install. Uh, that is just that is just the ride, and maybe not even shipping. Right. Uh, so it's like okay, shipping. Then you get the ride here, build it. You're looking at least ten percent of the actual cost of the ride goes into construction of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you're looking at you know possibly a ten million dollar investment. Um, the other the other issue is is space. Like uh, you know we have two hundred parking spots right now with the capacity that we have. On Saturday, we will fill every single one of those spots all day. But when you're in the park, it doesn't feel busy because we don't have enough parking. And so, uh, you know, we don't want to uh, invest a $10 million budget into a coaster that we won't be able to uh, get enough people on to get a return on it. And so, uh, you know, uh, we're kind of landlocked in the sense that we can't buy more land and build a parking lot. Uh, so uh, we, we don't have that ability. Some people have said build a parking garage. Uh, parking garages uh, cost uh, uh, twenty dollars to $30,000 per spot uh, to build. And it's just not cost effective for us to be able to build a parking lot uh, to house more cars uh, in order to do, uh, you know, uh, bigger things. So uh, for us at Funland of Fredericksburg, uh, you know, I, I have some thoughts as to, uh, uh, you know, what I would like to do. And, uh, and it's just a matter of, will we ever be able to do it? I don't know. But uh, RMC, probably not. Uh, you know, I'd love to see some type of thrilling uh, coaster, though, come in and, uh, and uh, you know, see what we could do. Clint, you said what you'd like to do. So let's tap into your key learnings uh, from Funland over the years. So if you were to open a large FEC, what would be your must-haves on the list of games, rides, and attractions? So you could go anywhere. You're starting from scratch. What do you put? Wow. Well, uh, you know, I, I would I would mimic a lot of what we've done here. Uh, multi-level go-kart track would be the first thing out, out the door. Uh, I would try to do multiple ones uh, and and have a bigger pit. Like right now, we uh, we have 32 cars on our big track, 
and uh, we only we have the ability to double pit, which means you can have cars on the track and cars loading. Uh, but I, if I could expand that station to 40 cars and do 20 and 20, I would. Um, but we don't have that capability right now. Um, so I would do that. Uh, my dream, and this is before we did the multi-level go-kart track, this conversation actually happened. Uh, I called Adam House. And, for, and at the time, he was with uh, Great Coasters. And I said, could we build a wood coaster that uh, intertwined with a go-kart track? So multi-level go-kart track with a wood coaster, and they just intertwine and go crazy with each other, kind of like a dueling wood coaster. And, uh, and you know, there was some thoughts thrown in and out. And uh, then he gave a basic idea of what a price tag would be, and the coaster immediately went away. <laughs> <laughs> and so that would be like if I had like uh, like the the dream like empty you know or a full uh, bank account, and I didn't have to worry about anything like that. I'd be like, oh, uh, I'm getting Adam back so he can design a, a crazy go kart track roller coaster for us. Um, but no, the, the the super successful things are the SBF Visa rides, uh, the you know the coaster. Um, the, uh, arcade would be a big factor of that. I'd be looking at like hundred to 150 games in the arcade. Um, yeah, mini golf, uh, would be a part of it. Uh, I don't know if I do batting cages, even though they're super popular here. Um, and, uh, yeah, no new, I would never do used rides anymore. Uh, I, I we're done with that. Uh, we only want to do new rides. Uh, you know, we want to get, uh, get some good use out of them before they get the wear and tear in. Um, so, uh, probably not like the scrambler and stuff like that, that we have that's in the used ride stuff. Um, you know, I think, uh, Malibu Jacks in scene 75, they're doing a lot of the right kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, it, it, you don't want to, it, it's okay. I'm not going to say you don't want to be the person who is the first person doing it. You know, we, we were a first in a lot of realms, you know, well, we weren't first with the go-kart track. Uh, you know, that was a big step for us. Uh, but you know, there are things that we have done that we kind of, uh, put the stamp on being the, the first FEC really to try it. Uh, the, uh, RFID wristbands, uh, we were the first ones really to jump in, uh, head over feet on that. And there's growing pains with that. You know, we were the test park and we didn't know it until we were doing it, but we were the test park for that. We don't want to be in a position or I wouldn't want to be in a position of being the person testing out to see if it's going to work or not. I would rather talk to all of the other FECs, see what is working, and then mimic the things that are working and and dump the things that aren't. That's funny you mentioned the RFID thing because my next question, and honestly, this was not planned, uh, you know, arcades or, well, FECs can use tickets or coins or whatever. What's your system like? Is the RFID associated with that? Yeah, so uh, the, we, uh, this is IAPA, like 2016, 2017, uh, we knew we were getting rid of our old core card system, um, and we were uh, getting ready to update to Center Edge for our POS system. This is going to be the most boring conversation for anybody listening, by the way. <laughs> uh, we went from roller coasters to POS systems and card readers. Uh, but no, uh, Center Edge is our POS system and Embed is our card reader system. They work uh, together to uh, make the system more or the uh, uh, business work. Um, and we, uh, when I was at IAPA, they showed us the RFID capabilities on the embed readers, which the embed readers also are in all Dave and Buster's parks, but they have their own like behind the scenes software that run it and everything. So it's a little different, but the card readers are exactly the same. Um, 
And uh, so they showed us the RFID system and I was like, oh, this is what we need that you need to be able to put these wristbands on the theft goes away, you know, all these different things that uh, we were experiencing. And so we immediately upgraded to their new system at the floor before we, you know, our, our system shipped. But we didn't, what I didn't know was that we were the first park to buy into their RFID uh, wristband system, or at least into the scale that we were doing it, because we were, uh, and still are, buying 100,000 wristbands a year. Um, and that's a, a, a huge amount of wristbands going through our park, and all of them are individually barcoded and RFID chipped, and they have to work, uh, you know, in all the different aspects of the system. And so, uh, you know, it was a challenge the first few months that we had the system because it wasn't working properly. But uh, once we got the bugs worked out, uh, it, it is a, you know, phenomenal way to, uh, you know, use the uh, embed and center edge system. Uh, they get a, a, a wristband. Uh, it's a plastic one-time use wristband um, that they put on RFID chips in there. Uh, if they take it off, they can't put the wristband back on. It's like one of those water park wristbands. Like once it rips, it's done. Um, so there's no theft in the system. Nobody out in the parking lot saying, hey, I got an all-day wristband. Here you go. Uh, none of that going on anymore. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's simple. You just tap and go, tap and go. So we, we love it. All right, Clint, video games. It's one thing to install an expensive video game, but these can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So how do you justify that expense? Well, uh, okay. Uh, what Do you guys know what the most popular video game is on the market? No. No. I do not. Okay. Uh, have, you guys, have you guys seen the Wizard of Oz pusher machine? Oh, yeah. Okay, it's a Wizard of Oz game, six players, six sides. There's a pusher arm, there's mm -hmm. coins in there, and you're trying to win the carts is what you're trying to do. Um, so that game is uh, right now in the 70,000 range uh, for a six-player. But that is our number one game. It makes more than that every year. Uh, so really, it's like we have to have that game um, in order to uh, you know be a good arcade. We have that. We have the Willy Wonka version. Um, you know, uh, there's a new, uh, fast and furious game that came out. I don't know if you guys saw that at IAPA. Uh, it, it's, uh, it could be a two player, four player double screen, uh, they're vertical double screen. So it goes really tall. Um, and they sit right next to each other and their motion. So it's like the seat, uh, moves with you driving, uh, and it's fast and furious IP. Uh, I think those are running, uh, 50,000 a seat. Uh, if I remember correctly. So yeah, for four of them, it's, uh, no, I'm sorry, 25,000 a seat for four of them. Actually, I think it's 30,000, 30,000 a seat. And, and for four of them, it's like just over a hundred thousand. So, um, uh, you know, it's it, it, video games and this stuff can be super expensive. And, and a lot of people don't understand how, uh, how huge of an investment the arcade is, but there's no labor component to it or very little labor component. So you're you're only paying to repair the games and you have to have staff that are repairing, cleaning, doing that kind of stuff. But with the volume of people who are actually using it at any given time, uh, it, it's it's a must have. So, uh, you know, that that's the first thing that I would do is build an arcade and then build around that. Uh, so if you have a really good arcade, uh, you know, that's when you start sprinkling in the, you know, SBF spin coaster, uh, the ropes course, laser tag, mini bowling, you know, all of those kind of things. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know that about Wizard of Oz. I I know that there was um, uh, some real like obsession with that uh, over the past several years with people trying to collect it. And I know like Toto is a really valuable card and so on. So that's kind of cool. Um, so, but to expand on Don's question, 
you know, even if you had the Fast and the Furious ride for, you know, $30,000 a seat, so the 110000 you know, whatever it ends up being, um, that's small potatoes compared to adding like an SBF Visa spinning coaster or a drop tower or whatever. Uh, how do you justify that? So the, the, the question really isn't so much, um, do you think that you'll make your money back on the actual rides? The, what, what my, the spirit of my question is more that, do you feel like adding these large scale rides and attractions at increasing value as in driving in attendance and possible per capita spending within the facility outside of the ride itself? Uh, yes, yes and no. So uh, really, uh, what we're trying to sell is wristbands. You know, we're we're the idea that we want to like you can come and you can do any individual ride or attraction by just paying the price. You know, oh, it's ten dollars to do the ropes course, or eight dollars to do uh, you know the new rides, uh, or ten dollars to do the go karts. But once you start doing all of those individual rides, they all add up, and you're like, why am I not just doing the wristband? So we're adding the new rides and attractions. So people come in and they say, oh, I'm buying the wristband. And they just buy the wristband and they get their, their best value out of it. Uh, and they get to go around and, and do all the rides and attractions. So that being said, uh, are we getting the return on investment on the rider attraction? Uh, when you put it in, it's hard to tell at first because, again, most of the rides you're giving are not complimentary, but they're part of the wristband package. So you only see what, uh, you know, the very little money that's actually coming in from the play value being spent on it. But then at the end of the year, we take all of the money that was earned in wristbands, and then we delegate it off to other uh, rides and attractions based off of their popularity. Uh, so uh, that all 100% of the wristband earnings are delegated out to the rides. And that's really what we're going to see you know, how a ride did, uh, did it make the money back or, uh, you know, how much more time do we have on it? And so far there has not been a ride that we have put in that has not, uh, made a return on investment. So. All right, Clint, when you're your age, you know, you're still young enough, you look down the road when you're my age, you don't really look too much further than what's around the corner. So having said that, uh, where do you see Funland? 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Well, uh, Funland is uh, about 30 years old right now. So, uh, you know, I definitely see it continuing to grow. Um, you know, we'll see some of the uh, older rides phase out. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, newer rides obviously come in. Um, but as we, you know, we've really expanded very quickly in the last eight years. And there's a lot of things that, you know, are not ride related that we want to do. We want to upgrade our kitchen and make a better dining experience and, uh, you know, add the full bar. And we have a temporary bar right now, but we want, you know, a sports bar atmosphere. Um, you know, there's things like that. Uh, I also don't want to limit myself to just this park. Like I would like to, like, obviously we have Funland of Fairfax as well, but it's a very different park and I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, going outside of that, you know, how, how far else could we expand? Could we build another, another fun land from the ground up? Or do we buy another FEC and label fun land on it? You know, what, uh, what, what could we do from there? And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, I'm pretending to be the GM, you know, any day, you know, we don't have a salesperson right now. So a lot of my time is dedicated to sales calls and, and emails and, and getting group sales in. So it's like, I'm pretending to be a group salesperson, which is funny because the very first position I, uh, uh, interviewed for at Funland was for the group sales position and they turned me down for it. And now I'm doing it reluctantly because we don't have that person, but, 
Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know exactly where my skills uh, would uh, be able to transfer over to, uh, but, you know, I, I have no clue where, uh, you know, I will be or Funland will be uh, in the future, but I know it's, uh, it's going, if, if the last eight years are any uh, indication, uh, it's going to be totally different from where we're at now. <laughs> well, Clint, you said a lot. But all I heard was RMC confirmed for Funland. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who are tuning into our live broadcast, which it's, it's all it's, over yeah, Twitter. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> RMC at Fredericksburg. Okay. <laughs> totally made up by me for those of you really, tuning in. Late. Really more coming, guys. Really more coming. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, so, okay. Just uh, b- before we wrap things up with th- this portion of the show um can you tell us your website where to find you on social where the fuc is exactly uh things like that sure yep uh visit funland.com you'll find both of our uh, parks there so the fairfax park uh the fredericksburg park uh, you'll find both of them there um yeah, I mean, uh, I, me and my wife also do uh, Happily Ever Novak, so that's where all the, the crazy vlogs of our travels go. Uh, so when we're out traveling doing King's Dominion or or any of the other FECs or any of that stuff, that's uh, that's where we like to throw the YouTube uh, videos up there. And then, of course, uh, where, I, where I got my big start uh, with In The Loop, uh, you know, uh, doing all that stuff, In The Loop podcast, and uh, they have their YouTube channel. I don't do a lot of contributing uh, to the channel itself, but still uh, hang out and chat with the guys there, so... Very cool. And we'll link to all that in the description of both the podcast and the YouTube description. All right. Now it's time for one of Ryan and I's favorite parts of the podcast. Clint, it is called the pick six. Cue ominous music. (laughs) All right. right. So the pick six, for those of you who are new to the show, by the way, welcome. If you're new to the show, Uh, it's when we choose, uh, Six different stories that kind of stuck out to us over the past week or so, uh, primarily in the amusement theme park, FEC, entertainment industry. Uh, there's a Bucky's one in there just as a spoiler alert because Don insists upon things like that. Uh, but uh, we're going to pick six items and we're going to discuss them. So number one. Oh, God, it's number one. New Bucky's in Ocala, Florida, and perhaps Wisconsin. Don, take it away. You know, I, I think it's great. There's just not enough Bucky's out there right now. I think there should be a Bucky's every 300 miles across the country. I think that would be awesome, you know, and at this kind of pace, maybe 20 years from now there is. But, you know, Cala, that is confirmed. Uh, I think that's a, a great, great spot for a Bucky's. Uh, the idea of Wisconsin, you know, that's a little uh, off the beaten path from where they normally go. Uh, but uh, that one's just in the discussion stage right now. Uh, but I, I think it's great, you know, the way they're growing. And, uh, you know, every couple of you know, weeks, I see another alert that they're looking at this market or that market. And it gives me hope that one day there will be a Bucky's within maybe like 30, 40 miles. From I just my wonder house. if it was that close, if it wouldn't be special anymore, because we have to make effort to go to Bucky's where we are now. So, well, I think there is a little bit to that, Ryan. I do think that. Uh, you know, the fact that the closest one to us is on the other side of Lexington. Mm. So what about two hours, two hours, 15 right. minutes or whatever. So, I mean, there is that to it where it does seem very special that it's not something you can do, you know, every day or maybe every week. But, uh, but I don't think I'd ever get tired of eating like the, the melt sandwiches right. or the, the briskets, those kind of things. Uh, they always have new merchandise coming in. So I think 
to me, it would still be, you know, that magic would still be there if I was there every, you know, maybe every week. Yeah, I, I mean, but I also think that there might be something to it in which it's halfway to Dollywood and that's almost always where you're going when you stop at Bucky's. So like you got, you associate that excitement with it. Clint, you ever been to Bucky's before? I, I have not, but I've seen the coaster community explode uh, every time they're traveling to Florida or Dollywood or any of that stuff. I see the posts all the time. Uh, so uh, I just recently learned in like I would say the last six months what a Bucky's is. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just I, normally when I'm traveling, I, I don't drive anymore. I fly everywhere because I just I, I don't want to waste the time of the drive. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been just I've been flying all the time. So. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, when I will get that chance, but I'm sure it will happen, uh, you know, because everybody's talking about it. <laughs> it is something that uh, it's life changing. Okay, let's just put it that way. So uh, you definitely have to to uh, make a stop there. And as soon as you do, after your experience, let Ryan and I know what your thoughts were on that. All right. Number two on the pick six, a California man. He set a world record after visiting Disneyland. Now, listen to this number here. 2,995 consecutive days. So thoughts on that, Clint? <laughs> well, okay. 2000, I'm, I'm doing the math. I just opened the calculator on the computer. 2,900 and what? 95, 95 days. days. So divide that by 365. So he went every single day for eight years. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. that's commitment. I mean, uh, that is definitely if they had a meal plan, I would understand why, because I'm at King's Dominion all the time for the meal plan. So, <laughs> uh, well, Ryan, first of all, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody in the room that like rode the racer a couple tens of thousands of times. But if you went every day for eight years, like how many birthday parties and holidays did he skip? To go to Disneyland. I, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I feel like there is an allure to, like, I could basically live at Disneyland. Um, but first of all, I question the number because they were closed for like a year for COVID. So they weren't consecutive visits. I think the article kind of implies that. Well, yeah, well, consecutive when they've been open to operate kind of a thing, you know, and the seasonal parks, they have people that have been there consecutive days, you know, uh, when they're open. Um, with that, but, uh, you know, I, I get what you're saying there, Ryan, about, you know, missing some different things. Um, but it depends, you know, what we don't know is how far did he live, uh, from Disneyland? Did he just walk in and get a soft drink and leave? You know, I mean, yeah. we don't know, uh, the extent of that, but the other piece of this, uh, for me would be, okay, you're, you're trying to, you know, he came out and said he wanted to set, you know, that kind of record from the beginning, but I hope that he still loved going there every day and it didn't become, you know, like we, it's like work. I have to go and to keep that consecutive streak going. So that would be my thing is, you know, was it authentic? And he loved it. And, uh, you know, that 2,995th consecutive visit was as enjoyable and fun as the first one. That's where my head is, is, you know, was he able to sustain the enjoyment and the thrill? of Yeah. I, and and I, I, I don't remember reading this in the article or not, but did he stop at that number or is he still going? I thought it came across as though he stopped because there was a thing where it, uh, in one article where, you know, he said that, uh, you know, he was looking forward to, uh, you know, going again at some point. Oh, wow. So I would, I think he got the record and stopped. Well, okay. Why was uh, the record, was the record 2,994? 
It didn't say. Oh. We don't know. Okay. But here's the other thing. You're five days away, five visits away from 3,000. <laughs> Why didn't you just make it 3,000? Right? I remember you close, telling me that you didn't want to hit like 13,000 rides on the racer because you wanted the your obituary to sound weird with saying 12,993 or something rather than... No, no. Well, no. Before I went to 12,000, and I only did that because my, my daughter wanted to, to ride it with me, so I did it in 12,000. But I was at 1,000 or 11,999. And I just thought to myself, you know, um, that'd be a cool number to stop on. And then, you know, my obituary would say, you know, he did this, this, this. He also rode the racer 11,999 times. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, he passed one ride shy of 12,000. <laughs> He's two days you know, so from I retirement. Be kind of funny. Just like the cops in every action movie. Yeah, but that, that's kind of my thing is... Uh, you know, I would do something odd like that. So if I, you know, got the racer to a certain number where it was like, and I knew that I was getting to that point where I really couldn't ride anymore. Yeah, I would stop at it one, one short, just so it would be kind of, uh, you know, a fun thing to play in an obituary. Clint, is your uh, visit count for Dominion anywhere near this? Uh, I think I did 80 something visits uh, this past year. Uh, I don't get to go consecutively because like right now they're open from 11 to five. Uh, and I, I work 11 to five on Saturdays and Sundays. So it's like, I, I don't get the opportunity, but like when, when haunt and Winterfest is going on, I can go every day because I get out of here at like six or seven. I can get down there easily and still make, you know, a couple hours, get dinner, uh, watch a show, uh, support my friends and, uh, and then uh, call it a day. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I did like 80 visits last year. Uh, and right now I'm, you know, we're, already in month three and i've only got two visits this year so or th i think three i did three visits this year uh so you know it's in the in the fall and winter is really when i catch up <laughs> yeah okay so let, let's clarify this and don you're you're completely with this as well because i remember a 1000th visit celebration for you too but for those of us and that's all three of us that visit often to clarify for those of you who aren't on that page I, so when I go to to Kings Island, for example, my home park, I'm in the 80 to 90 visit range, you know, per year. My job is very structured, 8 to 4.30. Uh, I'm, I'm a stockbroker. So whenever the market's open, which is most days except for holidays, Monday through Friday. So that gives me plenty of time to go there. And people think like, you must have ridden Diamondback a thousand times. Well, no, I go there. I meet with my friends. It could be any, we, I mean, we particularly like that place, but you know, mm -hmm. we go and we hang out. If you go that often, you might ride a ride. Often you don't, you know, so it, there's, there's a social aspect to it. A lot of people will meet in the park or, or anything like that. But, uh, it, it, uh, probably for you, Clint, you probably go with your wife quite a bit. Right. So it's almost like a date night and you walk around and. Yeah. You know. uh, well, I, I, yep. I go by myself. I, I go more than she does. So like, I think she was in the sixties to seventies and I, I broke 80. Um, but, uh, so there are some days where I'll just go down by myself, but that's because she has a Monday through Friday job and I don't, I have a job where I'm working all the time and, uh, you know, occasionally get off, uh, you know, on the weekdays or whatever to, to do whatever I want. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when we go down, it's definitely more social than riding. Uh, this year, I mean, we went down this past Sunday, uh, we met up with some ACE friends. They were doing a, uh, they're doing the flights and bites. Uh, so we, we wanted to experience that. Uh, so we did the flights and bites. She drank wine. I don't drink. So I ate food. Uh, <laughs> and we just enjoyed the atmosphere. And, uh, and then we walked around, checked out some things around the park and then left. We didn't ride anything. Um, 
And there's several times, like during Haunt, uh, during Haunt, I will do the houses all the time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do houses and do scare zones. Uh, but that's because I know so many of the people who are involved with all of the houses and scare zones and the actors in them and the supervisors and all those people. And so I feel like, I feel like it's my prerogative of being a fan of theirs that I have to go support them and, uh, and go check out uh, all the stuff that they're doing and, and just pass through and, and give them high fives and, and, you know, give them the uh, support that, uh, you know, that they're doing a great job and uh, do the same thing in Winterfest. So it's like, uh, yeah, a lot of times we just go, we watch a show, eat, uh, have some food, catch up with uh, the, you know, the different people, supervisors, managers at the park, and then uh, head out. But I, I live closer to King's Dominion than I do Funland. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I live I live 26 miles away from Funland, and I live 12 miles away from King's Dominion. So why aren't so. you the GM of King's Dominion then? <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we need. The, the, I'm, we, okay, you know, I'm. I'm not saying Bridget is doing awesome. So, but Bridget, uh, you're not going to be there forever. You will get promoted. I'm here waiting for you. So you just let me know. So I don't. The only caveat is that if I get hired at King's Dominion, they have to let me wear the beanie, right? I'm surprised you don't wear it at yeah, Funland. Yeah. I, I, the owner said he didn't want me to wear the beanie at Funland, so I don't wear it at Funland. Wait, don't you? Don't, I, doesn't uh, he realize the beanie sells tickets? Yeah, I, it's funny. Uh, I don't mean to get off topic. Do we have time for a quick? You know, story? this is our podcast, so we have yeah. all the time in the world. We got as much so, time as I do hard drive space. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so we, uh, the owner of uh, Funland, uh, uh, before, like right as we we're uh, expanding at a crazy level, he owned another company. And so I was the GM here, and I had been going to IAPA for, you know, 15 years. Um, and uh, when he owned the other company, it was a gaming company, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, machines and uh, uh, arcade games at at uh, malls and, and uh, movie theaters. And so he would spend all of his time with his other company and we would get him for two hours on like Thursday at IAPA to show him what we wanted to do. And uh, uh, the first year after he sold the big company, he was like, oh, well, now I'm going to IAPA with you guys. And he walked around the trade show floor and everybody knew who I was. So we're walking past, you know, um, you know, uh, RMC. We're walking past the uh, the Honolulu hot dog stand, and they're like, "Clint, you don't wait in line. Come over here. You get hot dogs." You know, it's like I've been interviewing these people for 15 years, so of course they know who I am. And the owner was dumbfounded. Like he's walking around going, "How do all these people know who you are? And why are you getting free hot dogs from those people over there?" Like uh, it was just a big shock to him. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean a lot of that pulls into what you're just saying, the beanie. Like it's like, uh, you know, the, it's the trademark. Although IAPA won't let me wear the beanie either. So really? uh, they said uh, when we first went uh, for our first media day, when they were in Georgia or not media day uh, as a media in the loop, I explained to them, I said, I have a trademark uh, propeller beanie that uh, I wear uh, to all the parks. And they said, we would, we would prefer you not. And so uh, whoever said that, I don't even remember who said it, but whoever said it has, that has been the staple ever since. So, uh, and they said, I, we prefer you not to wear the beanie as part of the press at IAPA. And it has since never shown up at IAPA. <laughs> yep. For, well, they came for the beanie hats. They're going to come for the Hawaiian shirts eventually. Cause I think you remember <laughs> that was our attire, but you know, I expect us to get a, I expect us Ryan to get a memo about yeah, that. <laughs> of course. Okay. Let's move on before you get us in trouble. Okay. So, um, Universal has filed for a patent for an interactive theme park character and wand technology. So, uh, looking at an article on this, um, 
obviously I, I I'm guessing that this is going to be some sort of Harry Potter relation, but uh, you know, according to bizjournals.com, Universal has filed a new technology patent to make your next visit to its theme parks in Orlando more interactive. Here are the details. It's probably not going to be your next visit if it's a patent. Uh, but basically the article goes on to say that uh, they want to have passive interactions with the wands with walking characters. So I'm guessing if you have the wand and you walk past a character, uh, the character somehow reacts to it. I mean, is does that make any sense to you? Is that your understanding? These patents are always, because it, it comes down to your imagination as to how it will be employed. It's more, this just tells you how it's done rather than why it's done. So uh, Universal is always filing for patents, man. Always stuff like this. Don, what are your thoughts? You got to protect what's yours uh, with that. But no, I mean, I think it's an interesting, uh, you know, concept. I think anytime that you can do things that makes it interactive for the guest, as long as it works, what you're trying to do, I, I think it's a good thing. What about you, Clint? Uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to read the article, but, uh, you know, so many things pop up in my head when uh, you say that. And to me, it's not just limited to Universal. It's like, oh, well, I mean, yes, it's limited to Universal, but it's like Halloween Horror Nights. Like, what could they be doing, you know, with that uh, and, and, and you know, and, and you know, cre uh, controlling the scare, you know, with RFID wands or something like that. Uh, so, but yeah, I definitely uh, sounds like an immersive experience and they already kind of have that technology, uh, you know, using the wands and stuff to control different elements inside the uh, park, but taking it a step further to uh, uh, have the ability to do something with characters is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I think that the key difference is that it's uh, it's like they, they mentioned that it's passively, uh, you know, affecting the characters. So I don't know if that necessarily means you don't have to shake the wand like you do at the interactive windows and stuff and in, uh, in the Harry Potter world uh, or what exactly that means, to be honest with you. But I guess we'll see in a few years, hopefully. All right, number four on the pick six. Six Flags, they've released the names of two new Skyline Attractions coasters. Kid Flash, we're going to start with you, Ryan. Your thoughts on the uh, name? So Kid Flash, fine with the name. Uh, the concepts look beautiful. Uh, so Skyline Attractions, full disclosure, friend of the show. Jeff Pike's been a guest on the show earlier. Um, it, this has the Aurora package, which is a light-up track, which is freaking beautiful. Uh, so they sold two of these Pischetti Bowl models. Uh, both of them, they're racing coasters. I think one's going to Fiesta, Texas. The other one's going to Six Flags Over Georgia. Um, and uh, huge breakthrough for for Skyline. Th this is going to be their year. It was funny. I told Jeff, I said, I've got a feeling this is going to be your year. And I, I think I called it correctly. Clint, what are your thoughts on it? What do you think about Skyline Attractions? Well, I mean, obviously, a big, big fan of uh, those guys, uh, you know, and everything that they're doing. And, uh, you know, this was something that uh, we were looking at, uh, not necessarily to purchase, but wanted to make sure that we we're watching uh, because, you know, uh, they're, they're filling a niche that a lot of other companies are not uh, f filling right now. So, you know, obviously, SBF Visa is filling that niche of... Uh, uh, kid-friendly coasters in a small, compact footprint, uh, but you know you're not seeing that from your Inamin or or uh, you know Zimperla or any of the bigger companies. Uh, their 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 coasters are uh, usually bigger, and so uh, yeah, I mean uh, I love the design, I love the layout, uh, I love the lighting. I saw the lighting at Iapa; it looked super cool on the track. Um, so I just yeah, I hope it's a huge success for them, really. 
Don, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm on the same page that both of you are. Um, just looked beautiful. You know, we saw it on the IAPA, you know, the display and everything they had up there. Uh, big fan, big fan of, uh, you know, Jeff Pike and those, uh, you know, with Skyline. So I'm excited to, um, you know, see how this helps them, you know, puts them on the map a little bit. And, you know, maybe you see more of these going around the country. Yep. Like I said, I called it uh, when we had uh, probably off camera, but I called it. I said, Jeff, this is going to be your year. And I think this is it. Yeah. And those, you know, a lot of times, you know, you look at parks, they're landlocked, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, you don't need a lot of real estate, you know, a lot of land uh, to put one of these in. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting uh, to see how these, uh, you know, the reception to the two rides. And I think it's going to open the door for Skyline to, to get in a lot more parks yeah, down the road. I think they found their niche. I think they've got a beautiful product. Uh, hopefully it goes well. Uh, look forward to riding it. You know, it's, it's going to be, if anything, it'll be a beautiful looking ride. Cause that Aurora package is going to be really, really cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. If you're a photographer, if you're a photographer, you're going to love it at night. probably. <laughs> okay. So in, uh, in other news, uh, SeaWorld San Diego, uh, they don't want your cash anymore. Don't get excited. They still want your money, but they're going cashless, which is something that I completely support. Uh, Kings Island was the first park I know about to go cashless. And now it is industry wide, but I've personally observed it speeding up transactions. Uh, it makes everything faster. It makes everything simpler. Uh, I feel like the transition was easier than I kind of anticipated it would be. Um, kudos to that. Uh, Clint, what are your thoughts? Does Fredericksburg Funland take cash still? And what are your plans with that? Yes. Uh, and I don't think we're going to phase that out anytime soon. We still have people who show up with bags of quarters thinking that's how they're going to operate the game. So uh, yes, I, I think uh, for now uh, we will be continuing to accept cash. Um, but it, it's it's very interesting to see the di- dynamic and see the way the different directions, like uh, we have a minor league ballpark in Fredericksburg uh, for the Fredericksburg Nationals, and uh, they're a totally cashless ballpark. And so uh, it, they've, it's always been that way. You know, your tickets are on your phone. Uh, you know, they've, they've been open for two years, totally cashless. Uh, I went to my uh, barber the other day, and I've been getting my hair cut there for eight years. And uh, I walked in, got my hair cut, paid with a credit card, but they wouldn't let me put the tip on the credit card. And they said, uh, you have to, you, from now on, you have to tip in cash. And I said, I, I don't carry cash. And so it's like, I, I didn't, I wasn't a jerk, but I'm not, I can't go back to that barber now because I want, I want to be able to tip them, but I'm, I'm not going to go to a place where I, I can't, you know, like they're forcing me to use cash. And I just, I don't have the ability to, I, I, okay. I have the ability. I just don't have the desire to use cash. So I just, I never carry it with me. Well, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think this is going to be a good move for SeaWorld San Diego. And I think other SeaWorld parks do it. Uh, SeaWorld Orlando's cashless, aren't they? Um, I was there during IAPA week, but I don't remember them uh, being cashless or not. That You know what? I think they might have been. I, I'm not certain of that. Um, let me ask you this, Clint, because you're, you're a good uh, good like test subject matter uh, for many things, but for this specifically. Um, what percentage of your business would you say is in cash right now? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's going to be less than 30%. Uh, you know, it's uh, Most of it's going to be credit card transactions. And then do you think that the, like the SGNA overhead costs for, for having cash justifies that 30% or do you think those people would transition over? Well, 30, no, I think I, again, I, people show up with, you know, 
uh, a, uh, uh, a sack full of quarters and want to play video games. So we want to give them the ability. We don't, we don't want to say no to any guest. Uh, so we, we will continue uh, taking, taking the cash. Also, there's a weird amount of kids who uh, come and they only have cash because they don't have, you know, they're, they're 10 years old. Uh, they're on a field trip. They don't have the ability to do anything but cash. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of instances like that. So I think we'll, we'll continue to uh, take cash unless uh, something drastic happens. Yeah, I'm glad we had this conversation because um, Don and I had an episode very early on about going cashless. And we positioned it like, of course, you're going to go cashless, but you make some good points there. You know, it's not necessarily appropriate for everybody because there are technology limitations. You know, you have to have mm -hmm. that card converter and stuff like that. But yeah, thanks for the insight. Don, what are your thoughts? Like, do, do you think the industry as a whole is going to go cashless um, in the next five years or so? Or I don't think everybody will. I think there's going to be those parks that are still those old, you know, traditional parks. They don't have the infrastructure and the, you know, the technology and the budgets to do those kind of things to, to make it a cashless system. So I think it's always going to... Um, you know, you're going to have those parks that are still going to have, you know, taking the cash. But uh, personally, I'm a big fan of it. My first experience with a cashless uh, venue was the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they were the first to, to do that, introduce it, the very innovative organization. And what I noticed uh, from them, you know, my, going to the game was that, uh, you know, my wait time to get food, to get merchandise uh, was much less. So I wasn't missing part of the action. Uh, waiting in line. So I was a big fan of that. And then the parks that I've gone to to their cash, the same thing where, uh, you know, it's just more efficient, you know, and I'm spending less time in line and, and that's a win, you know, for me. And I don't have to worry about, you know, carrying cash or, you know, what happens if I lose, you know, my wallet and the cash. So I don't have to bring any money into a lot of these venues now. And for me, I look at that as a plus, but like I said, you know, he, Clint made a good point about, you know, the kids that are 10 years old, uh, you know, they don't, uh, you know, they don't have credit cards, so they've got to carry cash. The parents give them cash. Uh, so I, I think there's always going to be uh, those places that, you know, cash is still going to be in play. But I do think you will see more of the, you know, the, the bigger parks um, moving toward a cashless system if they aren't already awesome. there. You know, I would uh, uh, love to know uh, from a place that does totally cashless. Uh, you know, obviously there's theft in cash. So there, there's, there's reasons why you're moving away from that. Um, but there's also a lot of chargebacks. And so the theft in, in credit is more on the guest's perspective. So like somebody steals a credit card, uses it at a cashless place, and then, uh, they cancel that credit card and then there's a chargeback. So I wonder if, uh, I would love to know like, okay, what they thought their theft numbers were before they went cashless and then what their chargebacks are after they went cashless to see if there's still that same number of theft happening uh, just in a different way. Well, I'll tell you this, the, yeah. the, the theft involved in going cashless is all about employee theft when it comes to cash yeah. and, and, and clerical errors too. Uh, but I think it might offset because a, a lot of people are going that way. Okay. Um, Moving on, Don. Number six, the final of the pick six. Six Flags, they're bringing Hans to spring with the new Scream Break event. Clint, your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know what it is. So basically, <laughs> they're running a, uh, a version of their um, Haunts, but it's going to be during Spring Break. Do you like oh, that idea? Oh, okay. 
Well, I like that. I mean, uh, yeah, anything you can do that is going to be out of the norm that's going to create traffic, I think is a great idea. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it would be definitely interesting to see what they, what they do. I know our local haunt uh, here did a Christmas day and a Valentine's day uh, haunt. So it's like, you know, the ones that are like in the woods that are, uh, you know, at a farm, uh, they did a Christmas weekend uh, where they did, everything was Christmas themed. And then they did another Valentine's day one. So uh, I think that that's a, <laughs> an interesting idea uh, from six flights. See if it works. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, haunt super popular. You're going to sell tickets, make sure the words out there and you got it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. So, Don, any final words of wisdom? You know, a lot of insights, uh, you know, from Clint that we appreciate about the uh, FECs. Uh, we want to get out to experience yours uh, when Ryan and I are in that uh, Virginia area, uh, hoping to get there this summer. So we'll certainly uh, check it out. But, uh, you know, just really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, we I think we learned a lot. I think we grew as people tonight. I agree. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, just uh, one, one last time, uh, your website and your location. Yep. Uh, Funland of Fredericksburg. You can visit, uh, visit us at visitfunland.com. Visitfunland.com. Two convenient locations in Fredericksburg and Fairfax, right? There you go. They're uh, 50 miles apart, but uh, they could be six hours apart, depending on traffic. <laughs> exactly. I've been on that road. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you once again, Clint, so much for being on the show. Uh, so uh, full disclosure, there will not be a show next week. Uh, prior obligations do not allow us to record, so we will not be weekly at this time, but we'll be back in two weeks. We're not going anywhere uh, with another special episode of the Attractions Group podcast. Good night, everybody. <laughs>